Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this evening as we always open up. I always open up just saying thank you. Just for your the gratitude that we have in you, how much we appreciate that we have a Lord who cares so much about us, that he has revealed, that you have revealed your heart to us. You've revealed who you are, um, and we can never know you fully like you know us, but you've given us so much to dive in and just spend a lifetime getting to know you. So, Lord, as we open up your word, I just thank you for these guys who have come tonight, Lord. Um, I pray for each one of them and for us collectively, Lord, that you will speak to us personally in our lives, that you will show us to be the God who is in control of everything, but the God who loves us so deeply. You, you know everything that's going on on one hand, but you also are personally involved in every aspect of our life and care every care for every aspect of our lives. So just guide us tonight, Lord. Uh, may your spirit be the one that guides this conversation. Help us see things about you we've never seen before. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I think I love um, seeing some new, new faces here um, and old faces that I still probably don't know the names of. But <laughs> um, why don't we go around and just say your name so we can everybody can hear everybody's name, know who they are. Not to expect you to remember that. So we can start with the most important person, Chad. Um, <laughs> no, no, yeah, go, go ahead, Chad. Eric Jensen, Bruce, Robert. John, Glenn, Jeff, Jason, James, Chris, Dave, and my name's Craig. <laughs> and welcome, James. Thank you. Glad you're here. Really glad you're here. Thanks for Thank thanks for coming. Um, and just so you know, as we go through tonight and whatever, I mean, we're sort of the type of group that you can ask anything at any time. You don't have to raise your hand. Um, Jason's probably already told you that, but um, yeah, just it's it's just us getting into the word and just wrestling with it all together as a bunch of guys. Um, so tonight we are going to be we're going to be looking at specifically Isaiah 11, and um, for those we're going to sort of skip from we looked at nine one through something last week, um, and then. We are not going to look at the, in essence, some of the oracles that happen um, between uh, the end of 9 and basically 10. So it's a fairly long section. I would invite you to, to look at, you know, read over those. Because what you're having, what we're seeing in those is we're seeing what we've been, go- as we've been going through Isaiah, what we see in those is that God now is starting to execute his judgment, all right, on Israel and on Judah for and on Ahaz, okay, as we learn, Ahaz is the king at this time. Um, as we've been looking at over the last couple, several weeks, is Ahaz had the chance. He got offered by God to ask anything, anything, to show he was God. Um, one of those like just blanket offerings that you don't see in Scripture very much, where God just says, "I want you to know I'm God, and you can ask anything." And Ahaz literally refuses to ask the question. Showing in that arrogance, like, why do I need to ask God? You know, I, I've got this handle. Okay, and we, and in essence, we see that Judah, which is southern Israel, you know, again, we broke the kingdoms up into the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. 
and that Judah is a southern kingdom that is mainly the kingdom that God is really, really watching over because it is in the lineage of David, which we'll talk about tonight. Northern Israel um, has made a pact with Syria to start coming against Judah. And then you, let's see, did I say that right? Syria, yeah, not Assyria, Syria. And you have this big kingdom called Assyria, which is coming down to try to take over all of them. And in essence, what happens is we see a lot in the people of God, what you end up seeing happen is that um, Ahaz is saying, look, I can figure this out myself. I don't really need you, God. Um, I've got a handle. He starts making alliances with his enemies, and he basically shows that I don't really trust God. Okay, and and that this has been this struggle we'll see throughout all of Israel to this very present day. <laughs> all right, the God has revealed who He is. Do we trust Him? It really comes down to. We were looking at this last week. It comes down to. Are we going to believe in the conspiracies and everything going on in the world and put our fear in the world? Or are we going to do this, which is you are to regard, you are to regard only the Lord of armies, Yahweh, Jesus, as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. He will be a sanctuary. Um, that, those words are the same words that we today, through Jesus Christ, are saying, are we really going to put our faith in Christ, or are we going to put it into the world? Um, so that's just a very quick catch-up. Um, I want to tell you something personally that happened today um, to sort of start this, um, taking a look at Isaiah 11, um, is I did a, I was a part of a memorial service today for um, a long-time a um, member of this church, a longtime person who's been a part of our family and stuff. Her name is Robin Tench. A lot of you know Robin. Oh, sure. um, and so she had the memorial service for her sister, um, who has struggled for years and years, was in a rest home, had gone through major brain injury. And Robin was just very faithful all these years of just staying and taking care of her sister. Just been this really big both burden on her. Um, watching her sister with this brain damage go from someone who, when I met her several, several years ago in a rest home, in a home over here, and um, not rest home, but in a home over in Mission Viejo, at this point she was so sort of out of it, it was hard to even have a conversation with her. Um, but miraculously she got baptized, and we baptized her, and um, miraculously, she literally just sort of came out of that. I mean, we kept thinking she wasn't going to make it for years. And all of a sudden, I, came, I went to Colorado Springs, and I came back, and I go and I see her, and it's like having a conversation with anybody else. It was just amazing what God did in healing her. Mm. Um, and so she's been in this um, home in San Clemente, Nancy is her name, for quite some time. And... Um, she ended up getting gangrene, and long story short, she just passed away a couple weeks ago. So we had this little memorial service down at Baby Beach in oh, Dana Point, um, just a few people getting together who knew her and sharing. And I, um, I had a chance to share. And so I just got up, and I was talking about um, her sister. And one of the things her sister Nancy did was she as she grew up she trained tigers 
and lions, and she trained big, big cats. That's what she did in Las Vegas. So she was like someone, she's got all these pictures of her with these just humongous cats. Uh, I mean, big cats, you know, wild cats, um, that she trained. She just loved, I mean, just loved cats. In fact, you know, if you looked at her room where she was staying, you know, had all these pictures of her with all these different, you know, big cats and stuff. And then she had small cats that she loved too. So I remember that I was thinking I just, as I came in, as I had um, come down to the service and was trying to think about what I wanted to share, I remembered that, um, what did I do with it? Did I give, I don't think, hopefully I didn't give someone, what did I do with mine? Oh, never mind. Sorry. Um, I'm like, where's mine? <laughs> In fact, did I give you one? No, I didn't know I was coming tonight. Well, I you don't have to know you're coming. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Good to have you. Appreciate it. Thank you. So, um, so anyway, so she... Um, so I, I was trying to think about what to share uh, as far as a passage, and I was thinking about what we're going to read tonight in Isaiah 11. And in Isaiah 11, and I'll just, if you want to, you can turn to it. I'll just show you really quickly. In Isaiah 11, there is this passage um, in Isaiah 11, 6 and 7 that talks about what's going to happen Sort of gives you, give us a vision of when, really in a sense, ultimately when Jesus comes again. Okay, and gives us a new vi- a vision of the new heavens and the new earth. And that's what we're going to be looking at in part tonight. But what it says in Isaiah 11:6, it says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So I just thought that would be a neat verse to read, um, because she loved cats, these big cats, you know. And this is a vision in Isaiah of... You know, all these animals, which can also represent all the nations and represent all of us, of having this sense of peace where there is no more war. There is no more anybody fighting anybody. And here you have that pictured in the sense of animals. I think of um, um, Narnia. (laughs) Okay. You know, you think of these times where, you know, when this is all going to happen. I actually think of my two dogs that just passed away in the last several months. I think about, you know, I'm going to see my dogs in heaven. What's that going to be like? But you know, it sort of gives us a vision how the animals are all going to not be enemies with one another. So I was sharing this, and as I was sharing it, and I said, well, let's, you know, I'm going to read to you guys. Um, it's just a, we're just a small group. I'm going to read to you, you know, chapter 11, Isaiah, because I'm going through it with guys tonight. And I look, all of a sudden I looked at Robin's face, and she's just like, like this. <laughs> and I'm sort of like, interesting. <laughs> Why she reacted that way? Um, and so I read it, you know, and I finished. And then afterwards, Robin says, I can't believe you read that passage. And I'm like, why? And she goes, because back in 2006, when she was really somewhat of a, maybe a newer Christian or didn't know the, the word of God that well, she said she had a dream where very, very distinctively God told her, 
three times where she, I mean, in such a vivid way that she's never forgotten. She said that God said to her, I am Isaiah 11. I am Isaiah 11. I am Isaiah 11. And I was just going, wow. (laughs) I look at that and I go, there's, I call these God incidences where God works things together. I mean, I had no idea about that. I had no idea when I was going to read it, obviously, you know, but just to see um, a vision that she had way, way back and then do this with her sister today in a memorial service, we read this passage that she had a dream about a long time ago. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to share that as sort of a way of us starting tonight because I was using us going through this tonight to talk to them and now I saw that sort of come all the way around and go, as we talk about prophecies, you just see how God cares about us. He just, to me, these are the things that I have in my life that I go, God is so real when he does stuff like that. He just, you see the spirit of God when you, there's no way anybody could have planned this. And you see the spirit of God work in something like this and you go, God is so real in our lives. Um, so anyway, I just thought I would share that just in, in an opening today because what we're going to look at is Isaiah 11. I mean, I never even thought about this way. In a lot of ways, what Isaiah 11 is, is God saying, I am Isaiah 11. <laughs> I am Isaiah 11. I am Isaiah 11. Um, and so what we're going to see as we look tonight, what we've been talking about is what we're seeing in Isaiah mm-hmm. And I would invite you guys, to, as you read Isaiah, read it as a story. You know, just like you would watch a movie, just like you'd watch a story. Read this as a narrative. It's, it's like reading, sitting down reading a novel or reading a movie, except it's God's word. But read it because that's what Isaiah is doing is he's laying out the story of what God's doing in the people back then. So we can relate to that today. And as he's doing this, one of the things that is happening that we're looking at tonight is he's he's like weaving in he's weaving in a story of what's actually happening to Israel and to during that time back in 700 um, BC. So he's telling the stories, he's weaving it in, but as he does so, as all these things are happening and, and a lot of judgment, a lot of war, and a lot of you know trouble going on within the nations and everything going on in the world at that time as he weaves this in and tells the story he's putting in these different sections that point to a hope past when that time is to give the people the hope that when you're going through really hard times whatever the world's going through right now I'm going to also show you I'm God and we're going to get through this and there is a hope for something better one day and that's what we're seeing as we get these little, like little, almost, I don't want to say commercial breaks, but they're almost like you're watching a movie, you're hearing a story, and all of a sudden, like, something comes on, and it sort of interrupts the movie and says, but even though all this stuff's going on, there's this hope that ultimately things are going to get better, or the hope that God is going to be with us, a hope that the world's not always going to be that way. And that's what we're seeing as, as we go through here today. So, anyway... Thoughts, questions, Jason? You had noted in your email that we were going to have, we were going to open with going through what people discovered in 9 and 10. Yes, yes, so we can do that. Did you, did you read 9 and 10? 
I might have. <laughs> All right. So, what we talked about last week, speaking of 9 and 10, um, we were talking about, and you know, my little feeble way of trying to figure out how we can talk about how prophecy happens, but there's all these different sections in Scripture, and what we were talking about last week is the way prophecy often works is it works like if you take a rock and you drop it into a puddle, of, I mean, you drop it into water, you'll see that, that it ripples out, all right? And that's what you see in Scripture a lot is this rippling out where what will happen is God will say something, you know, way back in Genesis. In fact, you can go all the way back to Genesis, okay, when God first does the first prophecy about crushing Satan's head, okay? But you have these things where you will see these little glimpses of these prophecies, and what happens is, is over time, these prophecies get repeated and more filled out. And so what may happen, what you see said here, in part occurs here, but it, it doesn't occur until here, and you just have this rippling that continues out. So you see prophecy doesn't necessarily happen all at once, but it sort of ripples through time, and more and more often gets fulfilled through that time. All right. So, for example, we looked last week at Isaiah nine. All right. And so in Isaiah nine, we hear we heard about. If you guys want to turn there, Isaiah nine. We got this, and so and when I was talking about a story, almost think of it like. Here's God telling this story through the word, through here. Here's a story going on. You know, it has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. But through this, as he's telling you what's going on at that time, he's thro- you're getting these glimpses at different times, and we're going to see some of that tonight, of what is going to happen in the future. Some of that might occur in the very near future for them in those days, but not all of it's completely fulfilled yet. And so we even are still living in that story, seeing God fulfill things over time. All right, so for example, in Isaiah 9, we saw um, that if you take a look, um, well, I'll just jump down to 9.6. So God, so if you say, let's say this is Isaiah 9, all right, and you end up seeing in Isaiah 9 that um, it says in 9.6, we looked at this last week, okay? It says, all of a sudden, for unto us a child is born, to, un us, to, uh, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on the shoulder. Um, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, we, <laughs> out here... You know, maybe I'll put a couple more of these. You know, we out here um, in the New Testament time, we see that God calls back to this. And we were looking at where he does that in Matthew, where he says, well, this is actually what was mentioned here is being fulfilled in who? In Jesus. Okay. All right. But as he was telling this, you'll notice if you look up in verse 4 in Isaiah 9, what God does is he's going to tell us about something that's going to happen in the future. He reminds us that he is a God that already fulfilled something that happened in the past, which was Midian. So we talked about um, Gideon <laughs> did something 
with Midian back here in Genesis, if you look at verse 4. And so God will oftentimes in the prophecies call back and say, look, I've done this before. I've fulfilled these things before. You've already seen this. I'm giving you confidence that I'm going to continue to do it again. All right? So when God says something about the future, what we were saying last week, is he's actually, by speaking the future, he's giving us certainty of the hope that that will actually happen. Because everything God has always said did happen. All right? Um, So as we read these, that's what builds our hope within that. So we saw that in chapter 9 last week. But then what ended up happening is in 10 and 11, the story gets told here until we get to now chapter 11 in Isaiah. And this is where in this section, as the story gets told, judgment that God had already prophesied back before this starts to get fulfilled. So God says in Assyria, you know, um, because Ahaz, as a king of Judah, you have now done this in not trusting me, but you have put your trust in your own self. I'm going to bring judgment on that. And what you see now, and if you take a look at starting in 9-8, you'll see that that judgment starts to take place. All right. We're not going to go through and read all of that. But if you take a look at, um, starting in 9.8 on page 52, if you have your, um, your, your Bible here, on page 52, um, you'll see this as judgment on arrogance and oppression. You'll see that that judgment is now coming upon the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria, just like God has said that it would happen, just like God told Isaiah that it would happen. So this is sort of like a near-term prophecy being fulfilled. All right. And then so that happens in verse eight. And then as we go through, if you look in 10, just jumping ahead real quick, 10, five on page 56. Again, we're not going to read through all this. Um, there is a judgment in Assyria that starts taking place that God said that he would have done that he was going to do, too. All right. So what happened was Ahaz did not listen to God. Ahaz did his own thing. God brings judgment and says, well, this is going to happen to you because you're not listening to me. And now we see that actually being fulfilled. Okay, within here. So, Jason, (laughs) or anybody else who read any of that section of 9-8 through the end of 10? Did anybody read it? Anybody have any comment about that before we get into... Eleven. That, um, Ahaz basically mm-hmm. represents the whole nation. Correct. From from the standpoint that through uh, arrogance, arrogance is a word that's used several times. Mm-hmm. So I just looked up the definition: exaggerating or disposed to exaggerate one's own worth or importance, often by overbearing manner, an arrogant official. So. The, the, what came through to me was is that he didn't listen because he was so into himself. Yeah. And so, and, but by him being so into himself, he basically represented the whole nation because the whole nation was into sin and everybody was into themselves. Right. And and uh, when you take God off the throne and put yourself there. 
uh, you don't hear God anymore. You become you become the God. Yep. And uh, that arrogance is the whole reason why Israel suffered so many years. And uh, we have a sin nature, and this is the epitome of our sin nature right. taking hold and just running rampant through society. And, you, and exactly. what really occurred to me is, is there's a lot of similarities with the way we live today with what was going on then. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It really is. Very well put. Exactly. And that is exactly what happened to Ahaz. Um, and as we are learning through Isaiah, the kings were put in that place to represent God to the people. And when the kings are arrogant, the people become arrogant, and they follow the king. Um, and that's the struggle we see throughout. So when yeah. Isaiah shows up, it's, get out of here. We don't want to hear what you got to say. You know, we're doing great without it. You yeah. want to change everything? No, shut up, go away. We don't want to listen to you. Right. But he had a real tough job. <laughs> <laughs> he had a very tough job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think you just said why we're all here tonight. Why? Because what he said to them back then, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. It applies to us today of how easy it is for each of us, whether More it's in so. our own lives. Yeah, whether it's in our own lives or whether we're in leadership positions arrogance is that thing that can just come in there and very slowly just work in us. Um, and I have seen over and over again that, that God will bring judgment on that. Mm-hmm. He will He will, He will. will shut that down. Um, sometimes it goes on for longer than we want it to, but in leaders, but, or us, you know, I see it in myself, you know, and I thankfully I have a wife that if I start getting that way... <laughs> Watch out! I don't have. She's really good for me as a wife because she just calls me on that stuff if I start getting even a little bit that way. So pride is the tail that wags the dog. Yeah, because the way our society is all set up is is that you get a job and you get a mission and you start accomplishing and you start feeling good. Hey, I did that. I did that. I now I'm moving up the ladder. It's me, 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 me. Right. And pride comes along with that, and pretty soon, because you did it and got so much under control, you don't need other people anymore, and you wind up isolated. Right. And in that isolated state, um, you go off on the wrong path. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I live that. (laughs) (laughs) And we continue to have to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. It says three times, for all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is outstretched. So where do you see that, John? Still, three times. Where do you Four see times. that? Four times, okay. Let's oh, see that. Yeah. No, that's great. Where, where are you seeing that, you guys? Uh, I'm seeing it the first in uh, 9.12. So 9.12. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. On 9.17. And again, uh, 921. Hmm. Where's the fourth one? And then on 10, 4. Oh, I, I have 10. Yeah, I didn't go past 10. I'm just doing So which right. women? So we had... Yeah, 10, 10, 4. So nine, we have 9, 12. Unusual, yeah. it's repeated 
in a couple of pages, uh, sections there, the same phrase over and over again. Or what, what yeah. I thought that was rather odd, so I highlighted all four. Very good to see that. And that, and what, where's the, Jason, what's the last one you just said? 10-4. 10-4. Good, yeah, it's, wow, very good. Yeah, for all his anger has not turned away. It's sort of like it's still coming out, and his yeah. hand is stretched out still. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's saying, and Jeff had made a point of this, I don't know, a couple months ago uh, in here, regarding God's wrath, right? Mm-hmm. S- still, it's in love. Yes. Right. And, and this, this, this is a, this overwhelming sense throughout 9 and 10 of exactly that. Mm. That's a clear translation for all this is anger. I put little hearts over the anger, uh, literally, because uh, it's his anger has not turned away. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's not just hasn't yeah, he's still angry. Right. His anger has not turned away. And if you look at the way it's coupled in here, with the people did not turn to him. So every time the people don't turn to him, his anger does not turn away. That's because he still loves his people and his hand is still outstretched in hope and faith that they will turn. That's good. So in what I got out of nine, and just kind of generally speaking, I really kind of tore into it, and it's it's worth tearing into. But um, what there's cause effect, there's cause effect, and this is also riddled with with prophecy of Christ, Mm -hmm. and the structure of of the order with which he goes through these. Is beginning to end. The Genesis through Revelation in little miniature bite-sized pieces over and over and over again. And there is a, hey, guys, you try to take control and you, this is what's going to happen. And just over and over and mm-hmm. over again. But. But. Yeah, but, but God. <laughs> And all the fours and therefores and yeah. you know, just the structure is all laid out in these really easily. Um, and it's for all this, I'm telling you why it's happening. And even though I still just, I, I love you and I always will. It's decreed. That's the thing that is um, really interesting also. For though your people... Where are you reading? Uh, 10.22. For though your people, Israel, be as the sand of the sea... Okay, now we're moving into one of those ripples on the outer ring. Okay. Only a remnant yeah, of them will return. Mm. Destruction is decreed. Mm. Overflowing with righteousness... So there's your faith, guys. Destruction is coming, but it's overflowing with righteousness. Just just know your your body, all of our individual bodies are part of one, and this is going to clean house. So just 
you know, sure, all these things are going to happen. If you think about it the way you want to think about it, it's going to be a bummer. But if you think about it like I think about it, and you enter into my body, into my kingdom, you will be joyful. It will be amazing. Overflowing with righteousness, for the Lord God of hosts will make a full end oh. as decreed in the midst of all the earth. Mm. Mm. So, and it goes on, this is great. So, therefore, he thus says, the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Syrians, of the Assyrians, when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you, as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while, my fury will come to an end, and my anger will be directed in, the destruct, in their destruction. And, and, it's, oh, okay. Well, that's cool, then. It's so classic. And by the way, don't worry. Total destruction is decreed, but it'll be cool. So when these guys beat you up and, and take you prisoner and everything, just know the day will come. I love that. It's so like, oh, all right. And, and then they... You know, he goes into in, in that day. In that day, which every time I hear that, that to me mm. harkens to the end. Uh huh. His burden will depart from your shoulder, and his yoke from your neck. And he's weaving this into the king of Assyria, also. Right. Uh, and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. What's the fat? Right. Christ. And at the very end of ten. He will cut down the thickets. It, it goes through. Behold, the Lord, Lord God of hosts, will loop, will lock the bows with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. Okay. So, anyway, there's a whole bunch of. Very direct Christ references yeah. in here and, and pro- prophecy regarding, but I love how that Lebanon mm-hmm. will fall by the majestic one. I love what you said about, and I think that's the thing to remember here is there's just this sense of judgment and wrath, but like you said, what Jeff had said, ultimately that's being done because he loves his people. You know, and these are his people. I mean, that he's a lot of his judgments is not. I mean, some of it's Assyria, but a lot of it is on his own people that he chose, that he rescued out of Egypt, right? right. That he made his own, and he just keeps calling back. I mean, I think if you guys remember what we went through and read the book of Hebrews, when we read first, when we went through and studied First Corinthians, when we saw Galatians, but you keep seeing this pattern is why do we have almost most of this book of the Bible? Is because God's constantly saying, I love you, but I'm warning you that you're turning away. There's just these warnings followed by, I am God, I am the one in control, I love you, warning. You know, you just see this pattern that just keeps going on, which means we always have to be diligent because we can walk out of here right now and fall into... Fall into that sin. Fall into that arrogance. Um, There's nine, uh, nine eight. The Lord has sent. There's the word "sent" again. The Lord has sent a word 
against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel, and all the people will know. Hmm. Now again, unless we go through this whole thing and really read it, um, the other thing that to me is woven in here is this reiteration that everything will be taken down by Christ. Okay? What in all the references to what the fire is and so forth. And we have a, a I know I do, have a tendency of wanting to see these things in like very literal terms, you know, like everything's gonna be burning up and everything else. But what this is referencing to is this is this flame that is that is the spirit of Christ. And that, that has nothing doesn't necessarily mean physical burning, it means burning of souls. Mm-hmm. And it also talks about the destruction of body and soul. And it also makes it very clear where you want to be. <laughs> and uh-huh. where you have to choose to be. Because again, hey, if you don't choose to be what with me... It comes down to what I'm we were talking about last week, right? Are you yeah. going to choose this in the middle? Yeah. It's, yeah. It says, it's not, I, I'm not going to... You're, you're, because your leaders are leading you astray, and you're letting them, you're going to be swallowed up. The Lord, I the Lord does not rejoice over its young men, and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and evil doer, and every mouth speaks false. Good, Jason. Yeah. Anybody else see anything? J- well, yeah, I was Jeff? just thinking as Jason was sharing all that. Um, I love that proverb that says, if you turn towards my reproof, hmm. I'll pour my spirit on you. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I mean, I think that's like, goes kind of hand in hand with it. Like I was saying, this reproof, this judgment is coming towards you. Turn towards it. Huh. Right? Which is not what we might do, right? Right? Right and high. Towards this, mm-hmm. yeah. And you'll actually, like you said, that. Fire is like a cleansing, right? Mm-hmm. You just go, like, pour my spirit on you, and you'll hear my voice. So yeah. You just see the, like, the invitation is right. always there. Yeah. Right. So cool. Like, don't you guys get it? Yeah. This, this is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, anybody else that you, yeah. Okay, so, so, first of all, my name is Mike Grant, and I'm George Rent's son. Yeah, and. Some of you might remember George. Right, and I want you, I'm glad, yeah, so. So Mike is, I just really quickly, so George's son, and what I want to let you guys know is, for those of you who weren't here on Sunday, because we all, many of us knew George. He was with us up there in the upper room. He passed away just how long? Yeah, yeah, so he just yeah, passed away recently. So yeah. So anyway, I appreciate, I just, first of all, I was in the car, and I saw Sunday's bulletin, and I saw Tuesday men's, and uh, our duties not, you know, to mom or done for the day and I thought so glad you're here vegans. Yes. I haven't done much uh, vegging at Maine Beach or something so you haven't lived here many years ago but uh, uh, thank you for my dad he's in heaven and uh, that's good um, if I might interject on this yeah, yeah absolutely here. Um, in verse 24 and Jason your insight spot on and I really appreciated the heart with which you share it but I think you can equivocate the verse 24, chapter 10. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There's a phrase in there I really like. It says, "Oh my people." That seems that's oh, one of those. Uh. 
so often, mm-hmm. and Jeff will testify for those of us who are <laughs> preachers, there's things pop out that you wish they popped out earlier or at a different time. But tonight, this I, I've heard uh, this before, but that's just jumping at me. This could very well be an Old Testament uh, picture of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. Because instead of a, mm. an individual, it's speaking of a nation. But in his anger, in his righteous judgment, in the consequence that we suffer for rebelling against his righteousness, he still called him his people. Yeah. The prodigal in Luke 15, his father never called him that loser, that jerk, my former son. He always called him son. Mm-hmm. And the imagery of him, when he saw a son a long way off, he initiated the contact by running to him, yeah. embracing him, hugging him. His son had tore his heart out. Yeah. His son was suffering the consequence of his sin. In his case, you know, the imagery of squandering and being destitute and eating pig slop and right. that image. But this is of a nation. Mm-hmm. And good parents meet out uh, righteous consequences for the sake of motivated in love for the benefit of the child yeah. mm-hmm. in other words boy I don't I, I want to be one of those pal dads that calls me Mike and and not, no that's wrong it's here's why you need to understand the harm that can come to you in other words the motivation of God's anger is a fatherly love based one I just got done reading a book called Not Forsaken by Giglio on hmm. Father, God is Father. Mm-hmm. Good fathers uh, are willing to discipline. And the Bible says the Lord disciplines those whom he Love loves. Right. And it's real easy to be popular. Okay, son, do you want ice cream or broccoli? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and i got to tell you, I love just the Jason just got my thought process going on. This is a prodigal son story about mm. a nation. Mm. And the father's heart is revealed in that phrase. Oh, my people. And the word oh is, an, is a heartfelt, it's a yearning. It's a, a longing. Like if you only could understand where I'm going. Yeah. Sort of like, oh, my son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and when the mm. father saw the prodigal in Luke, it mm. was a, a father-initiated reconnection yeah. with a wayward child. Yeah. Doesn't very, very yeah, yeah, really beautiful. Yeah. That, this is a very interesting because something that has been wheeling around in my mind on the, the structure with which we're presented with, and again, our ability in this day and age now, in this age that we're in, right. to be able to have that retrospect, to be able to look at the, the Old Testament and all its writings, and then move into and, and, and be able to see much more clearly now the prophetic language. Right. Right. Leading up to it. That again is dealing with on an eternal past, present, future at all times. Right. And then how it moves into, oh, and this is going to come to pass. And then Christ comes in and so forth. So it's almost like we move. And why in the New Testament is this same story, the prodigal son. Right. Because all of a sudden it moves from a nation to an individual. 
right? So that we have that perspective. Mm -hmm. God is talking about his people, and then in the New Testament, God's talking about you. And the reason is it's easy to hide when you're in a group of, where there's a lot of bad doers in the group say, boy, I thank God I'm not like those sinners. (laughs) (laughs) When he's saying you, the individual, you're accountable for your walk with me. We don't get saved by groupthink. It's personal commitment. And then that personal commitment puts us into... That, that group, community, that community yeah. of God's people, right? I wanted right. to say something. Yeah, uh huh. Yes. Prodigal son. I thought it was interesting. I was actually reading it earlier. Yes, sir. Um, in the Old Testament, I mean, there was that brother that, you know, are we looking at the Isaiah passages? You know, do we have that like this can't be possible kind of mm-hmm. kind of understanding where the brother was so upset? It, it's almost like a lack of belief that the father would have that kind of love for his son yeah. and the father saying, Hey, this is the kind of love this is this is this is what love means. Yeah. And yet the brother, and we're looking at Isaiah almost like, Well, this is hectic. Um, everybody's getting wiped out. Everybody's gonna you know, a lot of times in the old testament it's like, Oh my gosh, it's just fire and brimstone but, you know, if you look at it through the prodigal son lens, it's like, hold on a sec, there's more to this and he wants to like in the in the New Testament version it's like, hey, this is really what the goal is here. Yeah. And we just have to embrace it and see it and actually receive it, yeah. as opposed to have that skewed look that it's all just hell and damnation. Kind of a, I like <laughs> you try to run away from it. Well, and you embrace. know, I mean, something you're bringing out, which I think is really important, I hear this, I, I hear more these days. There's just been sort of this resurgence of, oh my gosh, the Old Testament, you know, it can't be real. God can't be this type of person that does these things. And like somehow the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. And what I love that you guys are seeing right now, and you're seeing in here, is this love of God that we see through Christ in like the prodigal son is the same God that's down here saying, oh, my people. And this has been the same God all the way through his love. And that's what Jason started with consistency. And your line is that illustration. Um, One quick thing. We don't often think of the 99 that Jesus leaves, but that's the prodigal son's brother. Yeah. The prodigal son is in the flock. That was true to the father. Yeah. The prodigal son didn't have to be gathered back because he was there in the house. And even when you're one of the sheep, uh, in the flock being well cared for by the shepherd, you might still be looking over, you got more food than me. You got more food than me. Or yeah, he had a little bit more water than me. He had more grass to lay. Which is what the other son was doing the with son, the prodigal he's son. Still, yeah. But the word son is used for him too. Right, right. So but he's part of the 99. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, it's like us getting upset. Peter, like, what a nitwit. He started to sink after he walked on water. Yeah. I'm like, Hello. Like John Ortberg's book, you, you know, you can't get it. If you, you can't walk on water unless you get out of the boat. Huh, and we're yeah, going, yeah. he sunk. Loser. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, anyway. And it's really easy to become. You start, oh, you know, when you actually, when you study about the language that the older son uses for the son that, 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 that just brought back, wow. 
I mean, you just realize, I mean, he's the one doing, using that derogatory language against the exactly. son and against his father and really showing who he really is, his colors. I might get less grass because that guy's bad right. right, right, yeah, yeah. Very good. Um, anybody else? Anybody else with? I just think yeah. globally that God wants relationship with us. Yeah. And that's his whole purpose. Right. And when we don't have a relationship, it's not from his side, it's from our side. Yeah. That's kind of the global. And so what does he do through grace and forgiveness? He teaches us how to enter into relationship with him, but not only that, but how to be in relationship with each other. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Which is sort of where the rubber meets the road. Is. Exactly. <laughs> it's one thing to say, well, I'm in this relationship with God, and I love God, and God loves me, and now I'm called to love my brother. Mm. And that can be much harder. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so, yeah. yeah. If I could have one more thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what you read earlier out of um, Isaiah, mm-hmm. um, I read this yesterday in my Bible study. And it's a series of verses in Romans 8. And I love this first verse. It's Romans 18. For so this cons- is 8, 18? This is 8, 18. 18, okay, good. Okay. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. And I just like, mm. oh my gosh, what a spectacular verse for this time, this present time today. Mm. But then it continues. It says, For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. The footnotes... Hmm. See, the created order of this earth was cursed at the fall. And it will be restored in the regeneration when we receive our freedom. The entire world will be changed. And it says, refer to Isaiah 11, 61. <laughs> so, and then I saw your email and I'm like, wow. What's so radical about that is when, when they receive their freedom. Okay. Right. That's what is being spoken about here. Exactly. That's up to us. Right. That's been given. Yeah. We just have to receive it. Good. All right. But I would say that the mountain that has to be jumped over is obedience. Yeah. Unless we can be obedient, it can't happen. And yet, not just to to be obedient, is to show weakness and vulnerability. And yet, the only way to be in relationship is through that weakness and vulnerability. Right. Which is contrary to the nature of the life that we live. Yeah. 
especially for us men. <laughs> We're not supposed to show that weakness, right? Or, you know? Yeah. I mean, when you think about obedience in our society today, you know, you know, obedience and wimp kind of go together, you know? What do you mean you're just going to go with it? It's, it's such a huge difference. Well, it's important to make the obeying God yes. singularly is very different than worldly obedience. Exactly, and, there, and to take it the next step, everybody has their thing that they're obedient to, <laughs> right? And uh, I memorized some things, and one of them goes like this: It is difficult to resist evil because choosing the right path often calls for personal sacrifices which we are unwilling to make. Nevertheless, always choose the right path. Mm -hmm. And so there are some things that that we have to really be introspective about and say, what are the things that are so important that I'm personally holding on to that's holding me back from a complete relationship with Christ? Mm Well, and that's that's yeah. A lot of us don't want to go there. Yeah. Jeff, you. I was just gonna say, you guys are awesome. <laughs> I know. <do. laughs> <laughs> I feel really edified tonight. Yeah. Everything you guys are sharing. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be happening if you guys weren't hosting it. Well, we're all in this like we're all in this together, you know, right. individually, but we're all in this together. Um, let's turn to uh, page sixty-four uh, and just start looking at this chapter, chapter eleven here. And I want you to notice. So I love like Jason how you're talking about just seeing all these links and everyone's seeing all these threads that are going through the story. <sighs> Notice how it starts out. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's how it starts out. What is the metaphor that's being used here? What is the metaphor? Yeah. What's the metaphor? In other words, the, this, this thing's going to come from where? It's a stump. It's a, it's it's a, a stump. It's so a, what's the metaphor? The metaphor is... There's like, going to be a branch that's going to grow out of this stump. Stump. So you think of a stump. You think of a tree. Okay. Life from death. Yeah, and there's but there's always I mean so much I mean this is how God speaks to us is through metaphor, mm-hmm. and he's, you've seen this throughout Isaiah. He's basically using worldly things here trees, okay, to get across who God is, and, and what He's doing. Um, so here you see it says there shall come forth. A shoot from a stump, and all of us can sort of, you know, think of that. You know, you can just that you envision that immediately. You've got some stump, and I think I said this before in one of our sessions. I'll never forget um, when in Elisa Woods Canyon Park. I was trying to remember the name of that. A couple of years ago, they had a big fire there. I ride my bike through there a lot, so I live pretty close to there, and I love riding my bike through there. I love. I can actually go from Laguna to get where I live. Ride my bike all the way through Elisa Canyons, all the way up the trail, all the way up to um, top of the world here, and then come back, come down here to work, okay, wow. and go back that way. So I love the trail, but so I would do that, you know, often and go 
my wife and I would go riding our bikes along there and stuff. But then a couple of years ago, they had a pretty major fire that wiped out of that area. And just maybe like a month or so after the fire um, had been put out and they finally opened it back up again so people could come, um, you know, I remember what, going through there. I think we all talked about this before. Yeah, all these shoots. It's like you just see all this ashes, right? And you see these trees that are stumps. And, and, you, and all of a sudden you see these little green, <laughs> you know, life coming out of what you think is complete death. death. This has been wiped out by fire, which is an illustration here. It's but really out good. of this wiping out comes the rebirth. The rebirth. Well, stuff right. is after the tree's been cut down. Yeah, yeah. Said, or burned down, even. You yeah, have well, like well, a burn. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. But this is really referring to just any stuff. No, it's not. And so that's why I was going to say that... Um, and Steve, were you going to say something over there? I don't know if you... No, I just... And Mike? Yeah. Go ahead, Steve. Were you going to say something, Mike? Oh, sorry. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. So oh. For if anyone was in Christ, he's a new creation. Uh-huh. The yeah. The things have used the phrase, passed away, passed away. Is safe or die. Right. All things become new. But I also see this uh, come forth from the shoot. I never thought of this before um, in reading this passage. I don't know how many times. And it's, lot, it's amazing how you can read something and not see it. Yeah, that's what I love about God's Word. <laughs> what happened to the staff of Aaron? It budded. Hmm. Oh, huh. And how many walking sticks do people have? You know, they're well used, they're slick. Huh. I don't see live little buds coming, buds out, of coming out of it. Huh. I think that might perhaps be a forerunner picture of this imagery in Isaiah. Huh. Um, and then, if you take it further to the cross, the wood was dead that he laid on. Yeah. And life mm. came from there. But he created the wood. He created the executioners. Yeah. He created, you get something yeah. that. Yeah. This is what Jason's talking about. Right. In, in 9 and 10, it's funny you say that. And actually, in, in prior chapters here in Isaiah, there's a ton of references to. The cross, yeah, right. Which is what, yeah. So, so taking that, yeah. So just, just think here again that metaphor of the trees here. All right. I want you just here. I'll just read it to you, so you don't have to look. Just in the last couple chapters, when we think of the idea of trees, okay. So just, and, and the tree a lot of times is being used in the sense of judgment here. So just sort of listen. This is through nine up to where we're at now. So in. In 9.10, it says, it says, starts out by the bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. And this is the sycamores, sycamore trees, have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. So you hear that. Then in 9.18, yeah, um, for wickedness burns like a fire, it consumes briars and thorns, it kindles the thickets of the forest. And they roll upward into a column of smoke. So you just can get, get this like fire, this wiping out of what's going on. And then in yeah, 10, 15, shall the axe, okay, so now we're talking about like a, a tree that shall the axe boast over him who hews it, or the saw magnify itself against whom who wields it? 
as if the rod should wield him who lifts it, or as if a staff, there's a staff, Mike, you were talking about, should lift him who is not wood. Um, and then it goes on, it says in 17, 10, 17, the light of Israel would become a fire and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars of one day. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land, the Lord would destroy both soul and body that you were referencing earlier. And it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his, for, of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. And then in 10.33, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickest of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. That's how 10 ends. So you just get the the sense of just this destruction, this fire, this wiping out of judgment. And then we go, and it's sort of like here, you know, you, you get this and you go, oh my gosh, there's no hope, there's no hope, there's no hope. And then we read in 11.1, there shall come forth out of all that destruction a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And by the way, majestic one, the Hebrew word for yeah. that, one of the one of the things that is typically used, it, that word is used for is describing the most amazing tree, hmm. like the biggest, most fantastic hmm. tree in the forest. Hmm. And that's what's going to grow out of this stump. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So. Why do you what why why does it say so when you if you guys when you guys when we're reading that just that first line there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse so they're all of a sudden you see this hope out of nothing we see this hope coming God sort of again it's like recreation I mean you can always go back to even Genesis right at Genesis one one I mean in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and what what was it it was all chaos. It's just like this fire. It just wiped out. It's just chaos. You can't see anything. What, what happens? Hmm? Yeah, Tohuvahu. Very good, Jace. Wow. And then what happens out of that? What comes over that chaos? So what comes over that chaos in Genesis 1 that then is going to restart creating? What? Wisdom. No. Well, not directly. So you've got Tohuvahu. Here we have chaos. All right, now we're going to see the stump come up. But what is it in Genesis 1, without looking, Genesis 1-1, and God created the heavens and the earth, all right, and there's chaos over all the waters, like, so you just get complete chaos like we have right here, destruction, okay? And then all of a sudden, what is it that's there that's going to start this process of... The word. Yeah, spirit. The spirit. Just, <laughs> exactly. <just> the spirit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. The spirit always seems to be there at the time that there's going to be a recreation, a new creation, a new thing happening. There's going to be, the spirit shows up. All right. Doesn't um, use the word brooding over? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Don't you think this? I mean, I just love this idea. Dying. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you're like, it's just there over and over and yeah. over. That's exactly what we're seeing. This stuff has got to die. 
Exactly. Exactly. So why do you think Jesse here? What when 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 you hear that, what what is that telling you? Why why Jesse? He's saying he so because that's where it's coming from, right? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Well, the clue is in the righteous reign, because <laughs> he was righteous. Who was righteous? Jesse. Who is Jesse? Who's Jesse? Who the heck is Jesse? <laughs> okay, exactly. All right, it's David's father. Oh, all right. Why, why, why Jesse? Why, why is Isaiah? Why is he saying Jesse here? What would you? Ex- what would you expect him to say? David. David. Yeah. Right. But he says Jesse instead. He actually goes back before even David's David himself and says his father. Huh. Almost like sort of saying, you know, there's something even before like David, like Jesse begot David. All right. And so here we see this is where What's happening in building up here, and this is what we, we talked about this last week, we can sort of forget a little bit in thinking that we read the New Testament and we just automatically know, like, okay, Jesus, that's Jesus. This points to Jesus, all right? Back in Isaiah's day when they're reading this, they have no idea, okay, about Jesus. They're reading this, but what they are hearing is they're constantly hearing this idea of something's the hope that we have is what God did through David and what God said through David. You will see over and over again references about David as you go through the scriptures. All right. We've seen that, I think, even what well, we did in Isaiah 9. When we saw in Isaiah 9, let's see it real quick. Um, yeah. So in Isaiah 9, the last time we saw one of these back here, Isaiah 9. So in Isaiah 9, 7, it, it, it talks about, For untested child is born, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, of the increase of government and the peace there will be no end, in verse 7. And then it says, On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. So what you're seeing is this: the people in Isaiah's time, their hope, because they didn't know anything about Christ yet. They didn't know how God was going to do this. But what they did know was that God made a promise. And so when they hear the word Jesse, they think, what do they think? They think, you guys said, King David. Okay? They think David. All right? And when they think King David, for their hope, what are they looking for? Why, why reference back to King David? Anybody know? I mean, what is it about? Because we're going to see King David. In fact, I'll just give you a hint. Because they, isn't that where the Messiah is promised to come through the line of David? Yes. Yes. So, just to show how important King David—I mean, the word King David—is Revelation, the very last chapter of the Bible. Okay, almost the very last verse of the Bible. This is what it says in Revelation twenty-two sixteen: "I, Jesus." have sent my angel to testify to you. So now we're all the way to the very end, but we're not even yet, okay? Revelation, very end of the story. And we know about Jesus, all right? 
But now watch what happens. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I, Jesus, am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So you can see, even at the very end of the story, we haven't hit yet. This idea of David takes us all the way back here, which is what's happening to them. They're they're even at they're way back here. We're here, but you can see how this idea of David is just the string that sort of puts all this together, including Jesus, because he's in that line. Um, So why does it say Jesse in Isaiah? Well. Good question. And I don't think we actually know. I think it says Jesse. So here, I I shouldn't even say I think, because I really don't know. But in reading what I've read about why Jesse is almost to minimize... It goes back to what we talked about, arrogance. (laughs) Okay? It's to sort of minimize this issue is not about David and about who he, big one, who he was as a king. It's about what God is doing to beget all of these this line. Okay, so it actually goes before that. All right, right. purposeful progression. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. minimizing again, sort of the. Well, it almost arrogant. reminds you that David was like the forgotten son. Yeah. Right. That they go to Jesse, and Jesse's like this guy. Right. Out of this, out of Jesse. Forgot him with Goliath. Right. 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 Don't you have another son? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, send me this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so when we start thinking, and, and what I was going to say is, we use the term Messiah here for Christ. All right, Messiah means anointed one. All right, and we're going to see this anointing sort of start occurring here. But this idea of this anointing of the anointed one, you know, goes goes back into the Old Testament about when people used oil. I don't know if any of you guys know. So this is sort of interesting. I never knew this before. So when the word Christ is the Greek word that means Messiah, okay, which means the anointed one. All right? We have not seen, we do not, in Isaiah, and people, we go, well, why don't people see that Messiah was in Isaiah? Messiah meaning an anointing one. No one is called the anointed one in Isaiah. Of all we're going to read in Isaiah, no one is called the anointed one. Not Christ is not even called the anointed one. We're going to see some anointing sort of happening here in a minute. But only one person is called the anointed one in Isaiah. No. In Isaiah, only one. This is why we go, why, why, don't, why didn't they see this as Christ when he came? Who is the one that's called the anointed one in Isaiah? This is a little like, you know, if you guys ever want to do a little Bible test for someone. <laughs> Who is called the anointed one? Only one person, one time, is called the anointed one in Isaiah. We give who? Cyrus. <laughs> that's right. Cyrus is the only one called the anointed one. We'll see more about that when we get to it in Isaiah. He's the one that's called the anointed one of God. All right. So anyway, just a little tidbit of information. We'll see that as we get to Cyrus. Why is he called the anointed one? Um, But again, 
we keep thinking things like these, like why don't people see this in Isaiah? It's like they're not seeing this stuff yet. But what they are seeing is they're seeing this vision that was laid out that happened through King David. This is where their hope is, is what God told King David that would be the hope for them to look for. Okay, and I want to look at that tonight because we always sort of have to keep in mind their mindset. And it's a mindset that we need to make sure we see all the way up to the very end of Revelation. Why David? <laughs> all right. So anybody know where in the story of David that we find this hope? Uh, why, why? Okay, well, there's King David, there's King Ahaz. What is it about David that makes him so special? His relationship with God. All right, his relationship with God. His obedience. Yes. Until he wasn't. <laughs> Until he wasn't. Go back God. to obedience, right? Yeah. What happened during the reign of King David that's so instrumental as to why we're even seeing this in Isaiah? What did God do through King David? There was peace in the land. He what? Was there peace in the land? Yeah, peace in the land. It was through King David. So if you guys have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Because this is what the people hearing this from Isaiah, this is what they would be thinking because they know this. And they're looking at, and for those who might be the remnant are going, what's in the heck is going on with our nation right now? Back in their time, they're actually thinking this. Um, they're going to be thinking like Ahaz. Is he like King David? <laughs> All right. No. Second Samuel what? Second Samuel chapter seven. And I, I'm, I will, I'll go ahead and just read this. Um, just for time. This is the key section that sets up this hope that we start seeing. It's going to, this hope that is going to ripple through Isaiah, through Christ, through us, all the way to Revelation. All right. This is where the promise originally comes from, that ultimately we're going to get the idea of a Messiah or an anointed one. So look at um, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. I'm going to just read the first uh, 1 through 17. So it says, Now when the king lived, being King David, in his house, and the Lord had given him rest, and all of his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, so just like Isaiah is a prophet, here Nathan is a prophet in the time of David. All right. So David says to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, being David, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So at this point in time, God dwelt in a tabernacle, which was a tent that in that tent, that tent moved along with the people of Israel all right, until they get to where they are in Jerusalem. But that tent moves along, and that is the presence of God with the people. All right, and that's where you had the Ark of the Covenant. All right, that someone lost. That someone lost some point in time, and after Indiana Jones, I'm still hoping we're going to find it in a warehouse somewhere someday. But we haven't yet. Yes, using cedar to replace the sick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. So, see now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the Ark of God dwells in a tent, 
And Nathan said to King David, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But, <laughs> love buts, but that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, the prophet. And this is what God said to through Nathan. Just like God saying to Isaiah, say this. Now he's saying to Nathan, say this to King David. Would you build me a house to dwell in? It's almost a rhetorical question. I have not lived, this is God, I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore... Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, armies. <laughs> Same guy here. <laughs> the Lord of armies. All right, Lord of hosts. So thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, this is King David, that you should be my prince over the people of Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name. Listen to that right there. Telling David, I will make you a great name. We're seeing how great that name is. It goes all the way through scripture, all the way to the very, very last chapter in Revelation. Like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people of Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that you to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, so this is God saying this to David. So listen, this is this. The Lord saying this to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, which means die. you die. Very good. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house from my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, who I put away before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established Forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So what you have here is David is being given a promise, okay, a prophecy. This is where here you're seeing and you see how it's both speaking at this point in time. It's speaking about David's offspring will continue on. All right. 
but it also speaks about a kingdom that's going to be forever. And so this is the hope. So what ended up happening? The irony here, <laughs> this is why we talked, going back to how we opened up about arrogance. The irony is, notice how chapter 7 starts out, that the Lord had given him rest up from all of the surrounding enemies. David had taken over all the area of Israel that was, that was, that was prophesied, that he would take over all this land. And now God says, okay, now you get a rest. All right? You've, you've done, you've been obedient. And David rests, and he gets this prophecy that as I, when I die, my offspring will carry on God's will forever. But this is where the caution is. Because in that rest that the king has, I turn over three pages. And in that rest, he sits in his house. He goes to a window. He looks out and he sees Bathsheba. And in that rest, he falls. Yeah. That's how fast. You know, it's like God can give us rest. Sometimes it's in that rest that we can find ourselves in sin. <laughs> you know, and God gives him this rest, makes this promise to him. And then he goes and commits a sin with Bathsheba that literally that sin destroys a nation. Because that sin from David rippled into ultimately the dividing of the kingdoms of Israel into two. And what we're seeing in Isaiah is that you still have this promise of David that was made to David back here through Nathan. This promise is still being fulfilled. But what's happening is one king after another after another in the lineage of this line of David keeps falling and falling and falling and falling. And that's where we're at in Isaiah. Ahaz is now that king. Okay, Another one who is not following David. But Isaiah is saying this promise is not done. God's because but God made this promise... There was no conditions on that promise. God didn't say, you know, well, if you guys sin, I'm going to take back my promise. <laughs> right. He says, I made the promise. I will fulfill my promise. Mm -hmm. And we see in that hope that that promise is fulfilled. Even though you have men rising up as kings who over and over again fall. And then what we're getting in Isaiah 11 is ultimately the hope that there's going to be a king one day. That will fulfill what we see here. Yeah. And why was it that the affair with Bathsheba divided the nation? Because that sin of David, okay, sure. that sin of his, ultimately, from that, and you go back to Bathsheba and everything, I don't know if everyone wants to try to answer it, but that, it's sort of, there's a lot of irony here because what line does Jesus come from? Anyway. Comes from Lana David, but Bathsheba. <laughs> yeah, Bathsheba. but right. from Bathsheba. Right. <laughs> All right, the it's sin. The, so David commits this horrendous sin, where he actually goes and not only has the affair with Bathsheba, but then kills her husband. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah. but that sin that happens on David ends up 
becoming a sin that ripples down that that separates the nations. Okay, so it doesn't get filled. Yeah, why? Jeff. Well, I was why? Just why? Say, yeah. Because like, we well. talk about like chiastic structures. There's, um, I think Mark and John both have chiasms in the account of Jesus before the crucifixion, pointing to the crown of thorns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just like buried in the yeah. text, right? Where you yeah. can kind of blow by this, but you're going. As the disciples wrote that, this idea of the crowning of the king, they were going, "Don't miss this, right?" This yeah. is the Isaiah, yeah. right? And it's even though we see the suffering savior, they're going. They put a robe on him and they put a crown on his head, and right. Pilate puts the proclamation over his head, "Behold, the king of the Jews." Yeah. Right. You see God carrying it through in a really broken way, right? The prophecy, right? Yeah, it's cool. So I think I think the the my best answer to that. I mean, I think if you read through, you'll find out more. But but the David ends up who has this promise, who has got the heart of God, mm-hmm. ends up falling, mm-hmm. and that falling of him as the king, mm-hmm. okay, who was the one that God had raised up, that sin. Okay, ends up starting to ripple down. All right. Sure. I mean, even just look at the fact of Solomon. I mean, Solomon is a son of not should have been the son. The, the son should have not come through Bathsheba, although God still redeems that. All right. But you just see the sin start well, rippling why down. So the nation still stay together. Well, well, because they're all going down together. <laughs> Because, because God, yeah, they, again, it's just it's a ripple effect of sin. Of sin. So God, yeah, yeah, it's not you okay. can't you can't just go, hey, you know what? Because I'm the king, this is where it starts, right? He goes, well, because I want to. Wait a minute. The right. only reason yeah. I'm here is because of God, right? This is why God told the people, you don't want a king. Trust me. Right. It's gonna go badly. All of you are going to be dependent on this one guy who's inevitably going to screw up. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And then those sins are going to take you all down. So that that's the deal. He, he, he again, where his hum- humility was what got him to where he got, and then he became arrogant and chose to do what he wanted to do, murdered, adultered. Right. Absolute power it, corrupts absolutely. Right. And it really just, I, I think it just shows again. I believe it's the same guy. Yeah. And wow. sin That's happens on, I mean, one person that God, you know, God puts David as the king who's supposed to represent him as one called after his own God's own heart. And still we get to arrogance. We started out this whole session with today sure. and that arrogance leads to a sin. But that sin ends up rippling through the nation and the nation ends up turning away from God. They turn back to idols. Sure. Um, and you end up having then in the line of David where the, you're supposed to have kings that represent the Lord, uh-huh. they end up becoming kings that don't. So that was more in Judah rather than in uh, well, northern Judah. Very, so what ends up happening is that when the kingdom splits, which is, again, part of that sin that happens, ten of the tribes, there's twelve tribes, right? right. Ten of the tribes become northern northern, northern Israel. Two of the tribes become southern, yeah. which, in, which include which is Judah, all right? Yeah. The, the line of the northern kingdom, they have sold ten of these um, ten of these tribes of God's people and have so turning away into sin that they're not even part of this anymore. 
And they have they appoint their own kings that are not even in the line of David. Right. They have completely separated and basically apostatized from what God wants his people to be. Huh. Judah still has this hope because their kings are still only in the line of David. Yeah. All right. But again, what we're just seeing is ripple, this ripple of sin. What we're seeing ultimately is that there is a hope that is greater than the people who have become kings. The hope ultimately is in someone who is the king who will be forever, who is Christ. Yes. Oh, I just uh, I was going to note when you're reading in um, you know chapter seven when when Nathan tells David, you know, and then and David's reaction because David's like, I want to build a house for the Lord. <laughs> And, and Nathan is like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do this. Yeah. And then, and then, what's God do? God comes to Nathan and says, no, no, you misspoke. I don't yeah. want that. Very good. And, I, and then, but then, yeah. Nathan comes and tells David something far greater than his line. You know, we just read it. It's like, yeah. but check this out. From your line will come, will be established forever. Right. And I just find it so intriguing, but so like our Lord, like you know, our God that loves us, is that. God full knew full well as he was telling David what was going to come from his line. Uh-huh. He knew three chapters forward fully well that David was going to commit this sin, yeah. adultery, murder, and such. But he, I mean, look at David's military victories in chapter eight and such. It's just the Lord sees; he can't learn anything. He already knows our lives and and the and the journey yeah. we're going to be on, and he. It's just wild that David was at this place, just this prayer that he did, David's prayer of thanks. It's just a beautiful, beautiful credit right. to the Psalms. Yeah. And and the highs and lows we experience is because how hard he fell and how much the Lord loves us. And this is the same for us. Right. And it's just unfathomable. There's commentary that nobody on the planet that will ever live can articulate as well as David did. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it's just, but look at these. Look, look. And that our God knew that David was going to fall, and yet he's right. letting him just bask in chapter 7. It's just this yeah. glorious. And then chapter 10 or whatever, three cha- it's this horrific beginning of this broken kingdom yeah. that you've been describing. It's just, it's hard to fathom it, but this is how it works. Right. And we see that hope in there. Yeah. My his hand. And then out of David's repentance mm-hmm. comes the most beautiful psalm, Psalm 51. Hmm. Exactly. Create me a clean, clean heart. Clean heart. Renew and you start spirit within me. Or renew in me, some translation, a loyal spirit. Huh. Renew in me a loyal spirit. Oh, I like that. I like that loyal, yeah. Loyal. Yeah. Just beautiful. Who are you loyal? Who are you loyal to? Go back to yeah. loyal. Yeah. Where he was, is, as Jason pointed out, when he was humble and loyal, Yeah. the, the blessings were just abundant. Right. Yeah. And if, what I get out of it, too, is that if you have a repentant heart, God recognizes that. And comes alongside you, it's going to be okay. I yeah. appreciate yeah. that. It's going to be all right. Let's move on. I learned repentance yeah. by being married. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Mike, did you want to... I wanna... to say that you see the uh, almost a forerunner of the David situation in Moses where he was a man of the God's own heart but he had committed murder he didn't get to enter that promised land he'd been struggling with these people to get to for the same 40 years right 
because of his sin of disobedience of striking the rock twice instead of once in anger. And David didn't get to build the temple. He said, your son will build it. Yeah. And his son, the other son, died. He lost right. his son. That's right. Exactly. And then at the end of Solomon's life, he falls off the deep end. <laughs> it's, it's this you just a ripple. Right. And what God's saying is, even the unrepentant heart, that unrepentant person is beloved of God. Yeah. But they're choosing not to accept the gift of God's love. Right. Um, if if a, an ISIS fighter accepts Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, so yes. he'll be in the same outcome. Right. Program. Absolutely. So that's this pattern is very important in Scripture because it was this forerunner picture of this and forerunner picture. See, I told you. I mean, he's so consistent. That line in the middle, it's when God draws it, it's a lot straighter than that. <laughs> but my point is, right. it's there, and people just can ignore it. Right. They can embrace it, or they move forward to it. I yeah. mean, that, uh, he is so consistent. And if, if Moses didn't go to the promised land, and David didn't build David's temple, and, you know, Solomon fell up to be then at the end, I mean, what would yeah. Good. All right. Well, I want to um, I want to close. Um, and before before we do that, a couple things. One is we did this is awesome discussion that you guys. I feel really good because we got through verse one of, of <laughs> chapter eleven. So <laughs> we will we're making progress. Um, <laughs> But next week, we'll continue on, okay, going through and looking at verse 11 because, I mean, chapter 11, because um, it just starts building and we start seeing what the Spirit does and we start, I want to look at some contrast with Ahaz and see this, but we'll do that a lot more. But what I want to do tonight before we close um, is, you know, one of the things that happens in Scripture over and over again is that when someone is put into any kind of position of, call it leadership, um, anything where they've been commissioned, God says, and the church says, we want to, you know, pray for that person and in essence anoint them to say, God's got your hand in what you're doing. We do that also within our local body. All right. And um, I'm exceptionally excited with Jeff because we have someone who has accepted that position to really help us with something we need here within our body of Christ, which is our youth ministry. And that's Chad, who um, has stepped into this role um, as a volunteer, but more valuable. (laughs) I mean, I even hate using that word, but someone who's just felt this call on him to say, I want to really help with the youth ministry. I want to help to, you know, sort of direct what's going on, um, to... um, coordinate what's happening and stuff and he's already delivering some lessons and teaching the kids getting them into the world like what we're all doing here tonight um and i just thought it'd be good with you guys here tonight that might be a really good time for us to anoint chad um in this ministry that he's both felt called to and also we are now calling to him as leaders of our church to say <laughs> we're excited to see what God's going to do for that. So I would love to like have him have Jeff come up and I want to have us just all pray over Chad. Um, and we're going to anoint him and come on up here. Chad. <laughs>
With that, if you guys all want to stand and anybody wants to put their hands on him, and Absolutely. if you guys want to pray as we do this, and just going to anoint him for this. Um, I should be dumping this. <laughs> yeah, just pouring it all over my right. Your beard. Like, it's like Come on. This shower. Yeah. yeah. I love it. <laughs> God, we thank you for your servant, God. We anoint him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for um, the way you have stirred his heart. God, thank you for the way that you've prepared him for this. And um, God, thank you for the spirit of humility that lies on him, as well as courage and boldness. God, thank you for his love for truth and for your word and for these students. God, we just pray that you would fill him with your spirit, prepare him for this task. God, go with him, before him and behind him on every side. God, be his shield and his protection and his strength. And we just surround him as his brothers with um, with the love that you've poured into us, God. We pour into Chad and just bless him. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen.